welcome, we welcome you all to worship this morning. Those visiting among, among us, we pray that you will all be blessed um, under the word of our God. <clears throat> our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 121, the first four verses. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, <clears throat> from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keeps thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. We will now turn further into the Old, Old Testament to Jonah, Jonah chapter 4, prophecy of Jonah chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading at verse 10 of chapter 3. And God saw there, that's the Ninevites' repentance, saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled from before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, and slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city, and he sat on the east side of the city, and he made him a booth, and he sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. And so Jonah was exceeding glad for of the gourd. But God prepared a worm. When the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass that when the sun did rise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on the head of Jonah and he fainted and he wished him in himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for which thou hast not labored, neither made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein is are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? So far, the reading of God's holy word. Dear church family, as we come to the last chapter of the book of Jonah, we once more come to a, a, a chapter that is reflective of the whole book that's surprising, that's challenging, that's, that's filled with mystery and intrigue. Children, you will remember as we've considered the book of Jonah, we, we've come across this disobedient, rebellious prophet, the servant of the Lord, as he's fled from God. We've considered how a, a God-appointed storm that God hurled at Jonah as he searched out his servant. We saw a repentant group of sailors who throw an unrepentant Jonah overboard. 
We see a God-appointed fish sent to save a servant. We, we saw a soul-searching, deep heart repentance take place in the belly of the fish. We saw God as a God of second opportunities as he sends Jonah again to Nineveh. We watch Jonah proclaim a hard and a challenging message to a city that was national enemies of Israel. But yet it was a, a message of hope for these people. We saw an overwhelming repentance take place in that city as they cast themselves upon the pity and mercy of the Lord. And as we come to the end of chapter 3, we would expect, from our, from our human standpoint, to find a, a, a tremendously thankful servant. As we, as we enter into chapter 4. Thankful for how the Lord uses even weak vessels despite our past weaknesses and failures. And yet, we're confronted with a man who is at odds with his compassionate Lord. We might be thinking... Jonah, what is wrong with you? You went from running from the presence of God. You went to repenting for what you had done. You committed yourselves with vows to the Lord in the belly of the fish. You went in obedience. And now you're questioning. Questioning the Lord. If we were writing the book of Jonah, this would have been the last way we would have ended this book. But as we read this book, as we read this chapter, once more we see the glorious truth of the theme of this book, that salvation is of the Lord and the Lord alone. And in this chapter in particular, we see a human heart exposed And we pray that our hearts will be exposed as well as we come to this last chapter. To see that we are often a people who oppose the Lord's way of salvation. As we bring our own prejudice, our own ideas, our own emotions into the foreground. In response to the Lord's work of salvation. Whether it's in our own life or in the lives of others in response to our Lord's care and compassion for the lost. What we have in this last chapter is is an open and honest portrayal of the human heart from one who was at the center of the book, Jonah. We need to remember that it's Jonah here who's writing. He's recounting who he was and what he was doing as he was in the city of Nineveh and as he steps out. And as he recounts the Lord's dealings with him, he's condemning himself. He's condemning himself. He acknowledges who he is and was and how wrong he was. And at the same time, he, he once more exalts the compassion, the patience of his Lord. And just as a side note, it's chapters like this that bring authenticity to the powerful Word of God. The Scriptures do not hide from us the the raw emotions of the heart, the challenges that we have maybe with the Lord at times. They don't cover up our sins. They present the struggle to believe, to understand what God is doing in our lives. They present sin as it is. It's selfishness. It's pride. It presents the only solution. And so we can come to this book, which is real, 
It addresses the heart. And we can come to it with confidence, believing that what here, what we have here is true and is powerful. It is the very word of God that could speak in, into our lives. And so as we do that, as we come to this, this word of the Lord this morning, we pray that as we consider this theme, at odds with the compassion, with the compassionate God, we want to look at it as Jonah questions the Lord in, in, at three different ways or three different instances. Questioning God's preservation of Nineveh, questioning God's providence, providences, his providential dealings with him, and just the overarching question, questioning God's pity for the lost. Children, the last time we left Jonah, we left him in the city of Nineveh. We, we saw him proclaiming the, that short, terse message. We saw the, the Lord bring rep, people to repentance of their sins, covering themselves with sackcloth and ashes, and casting themselves on the mercy of the Lord. Who can tell if God will turn from his anger? Who can tell? We left Jonah seeing that the Lord relenting, turning, repenting of the judgment that he had promised upon this people. We anticipated seeing Jonah satisfied, believing, saying what a joy it is to see this. And friend, it is a joy. It's a joy when we see one sinner repent. It's a beautiful thing. And to see this, this large city, this great city, come to repentance and faith must have been glorious. But Jonah, what we read of Jonah is, is hard to understand. It's hard to wrap our minds around. Sinclair Ferguson says we were, were left feeling disturbed and, and uneasy with these words. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. Literally, in the original it reads, but it was, it was a bad thing to Jonah. And very much so. What Jonah saw taking place in Nineveh, the repentance, the turning to the Lord, the relenting of God, his showing pity on the city of Nineveh, was an unpleasant and displeasing thing to Jonah. He didn't want to see them repent. He didn't want to see them See mercy, pity shown to them. He wanted the judgment to come. And what, a, what a contrast we see between God and his servant. God, in response to Nineveh's repentance, shows mercy. Jonah, in response to their repentance, shows displeasure and glory. What the angels rejoice over when one sinner repents, Jonah despises. But not only despises, Jonah tells us that he was angry. Literally, he was hot. He was boiling within. He was angry with God. He was angry at God. And his emotions got the better of him as he pours out his heart Solomon tells us that out of the, out of the issues of the heart, the mouth speaks, and, and Jonah, as angry as he was, just tells the Lord like it is. He, he prays in the midst of his anger. He turns to the Lord in prayer and questions the Lord. What are you doing? He turns to the Lord and, and tells him why he's troubled, why he's angry. He says, I prayed. I pray thee, O Lord. Was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? 
Therefore I fled unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest or relents thee of the evil. Jonah, Jonah bears his heart, revealing that he is a man of his time. He is a committed Israelite. When I was yet in my country, and to him the Ninevites were not to be the recipients of God's mercy and grace. They were enemies of God and of his people. People that should have been the object of God's just wrath, not his favor. These people were not to be a covenant people. As an Israelite, he understood who his God was. And he refers to him as Lord as he prays. He says, O Lord, all capital letters, referring to the covenant name of, of God. He knew that his God was a God who delights in relationships with, with sinners, with people, people who were image bearers of the Lord. He knew that his God was a gracious God, a merciful one, one who was slow to anger and compassionate. Once again, Jonah demonstrates that he has a very orthodox, biblically based understanding of who God is. Earlier, he had confessed to the sailors an orthodox understanding of who his God was, the one who created the heavens and the earth. And here he Here he displays his understanding of the character of God once again. He knew the character of God. He knew the real possibility of the Lord showing mercy even to a people like the Ninevites. He knew what it was to experience the mercy of God himself for one who had persisted in his disobedience. He knew that salvation was of the Lord and the Lord alone. He had experienced it in his own life. And yet, having experienced the mercy of God to him, there were areas of his life that had been untouched by the grace of God. And now he uses, he takes his knowledge of who his God is. And he uses it to justify his previous sinful actions. I knew you would do this, Lord. And I didn't want you to. So I fled. What a warning for us. For many of us, we've grown up under the truth. We've, we've, we've learned the truth. We know the doctrines of Scripture. We have a... a a good understanding, a biblical understanding of the doctrines of grace. We can say with Jonah who our God is. We can give a, a, a biblical understanding of who we are as sinners, unworthy of grace and mercy. We can tell about the person of Christ and why he came to save sinners, the way of salvation. We understand the, the work of the Spirit, the necessity of the work of the Spirit. And we may even be a servant of the Lord like Jonah. We may have experienced the Lord's salvation in our lives. My friend, it doesn't mean that we always live out what we believe. Doesn't mean we always bring our emotions, our desires in line with the Word of God and our understanding of biblical truth. Jonah, he didn't believe the Ninevites were worthy of God's grace and mercy. And so he questioned God, he judged God, and he found God lacking. He was at odds with his compassionate Lord. But do we misuse biblical truth like Jonah was? I hear people say, and rightly so, that it's the Lord who has to save us. And then if, when I ask, or if I hear someone else ask, but have you believed? 
Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? The answer often given is, but the Lord hasn't worked in my heart. And in doing so, you circumvent my question. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? But also, in, as you circumvent the question, you're saying two things, or you're doing two things. At one level, you're blaming God, saying that you cannot help it, that you, are not, that you haven't believed because God hasn't worked in your life yet. But you're also saying, or at least implying, that if it was up to you, you would be saved already. And that you're more willing to be saved than God is willing to save you. Friend, this this is a lie from the devil. For the Lord, as as you scan the scriptures, we see the Lord as one who is willing to save to the uttermost. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He would that all men turn to him and repent and believe. And the question is, have you repented of your sin? And have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that's the Lord's way to save a lost soul. Or maybe, or maybe for those of us who have rested in the finished work of Jesus Christ, we, we know that the Lord, we know that the Lord calls us to give ourselves completely, wholeheartedly to Him in service to Him. In Matthew 6, He says, seek first the kingdom of God and, and all these other things will be added unto you. Or in Romans 12.1, Paul instructs us that we are to present ourselves as, as living sacrifices, which is our reasonable service. And yet there are times in my own life, at least, that I see myself seeking my desires, my kingdom, and not the Lord's. Times when I don't find myself presenting my entire life as a living sacrifice. Jonah was having himself exposed and discovered that it was possible to experience and to accomplish much in life, even in God's kingdom, and yet have areas of, of his life that were untouched by God's grace. Friend, is there an area in your life that's untouched by the grace of God? Does your orthodox understanding, your biblical understanding of Scripture and the teachings of it, does it line up with orthodox biblical living? And when things don't go our way, don't match up with what we expect in life. Do we, like Jonah, let our emotions get the better of us? Do we get good and angry? Do we get frustrated? Do we, do we find ourselves being challenged, wanting to give up and check out? Jonah, in his self-pity, in his self-centered approach to serving the Lord, when things did not go his way, when, when he saw Nineveh come to repentance, in a sense, he threw up his hands and wanted to just give up. Parents, maybe you've seen your children do this when they don't get their own way. Children, maybe you've seen it in yourself when you don't get your own way. Or maybe you throw yourself down on the ground in a huff and just giving up. Maybe something's really hard at school and you just say, I can't do this, and you give up. In a sense, this is what Jonah is doing as he, as he digs in his heels, justifying his action, 
And he turns to the Lord and he says, Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah rather die than go back to Israel. For Jonah, his reputation was going to be in tatters from a human standpoint. He was going to be known as the Jew, the Hebrew, who had, who was the, being the means by which Nineveh had been saved. Jonah had aided the enemy. And how could he go back to his people and face this criticism? He would rather die. Take my life, he says to the Lord. He's at odds with his compassionate God. He cannot believe that the Lord spared Nineveh. And he's unwilling to believe that this was possible. And for one who was who is a type of our Lord Jesus Christ, as, a, as the prophet of the Most High God. What we have here is anything but a type. Jesus, who is the greater Jonah, is in so many ways opposite of Jonah right now. Jonah shed no tears over a great city, the city of Nineveh. And Jesus, our Savior, shed his tears over Jerusalem. Jonah grieved at the sparing of Nineveh, of the Gentile sinners of it. And Jesus grieves over a city that is about to be destroyed in 70 years. Jonah is displeased with the salvation of sinners. And Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, died to save sinners. Oh, to be more like our Lord Jesus Christ and to be less like Jonah. Oh, we need help. We need help to be a people who are not just orthodox and understanding, but we need the Lord Jesus to help us to be a people who live out what we confess and believe to be true. And that's the beauty of the gospel. For the work of our compassionate Lord, and it's his desire, it's his work to come to show grace and mercy, even to Jonas, to people like, like ourselves. As he reaches down into the life of, of sinners, of people who question his compassion, as he and addresses them both with his word and his providential care. As, as Jonah wallows in his self-pity, the Lord comes to him with his word. Doest thou well to be angry, Jonah? The Lord's patience is marvelous. He questions Jonah. In the original, it says something more along the lines of, Are you really good and angry, Jonah? He doesn't condemn Jonah. As one commentator put it, he invites Jonah to condemn himself and to admit that his anger was not good. Jonah doesn't respond in words to the Lord's question, but he retreats from the city. He leaves the city of Nineveh and he goes and we read he went out of the city. He sat on the east side of the city and he made a booth and sat under it, the shadow of it till he might see what would become of the city. Jonah went out, sat, and waited to see what would happen. He attempts to make himself comfortable in his anger by building this shabby booth that is ineffective in protecting him from the shade, the heat of the, the day. The Lord will not allow his servant to, to continue to, to wallow in his self-pity. But he reaches down into the life of a servant, not just with words, but now with providential dealings. If Jonah had learned anything in the first three chapters of this book, he knew that his God was a God who would not let him go. He knew that his God was the one who had found him in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. 
He knew that his God was the one that had hurled that storm directly at his boat that he was in. He knew that there had been a fish, a great fish, prepared, appointed by the Lord to spare him from a watery grave. He knew that the Lord had spoken to the fish, telling it to vomit him out onto dry land. He should have known that his Lord would come again and deal with him. And that's what we read as the, as the Lord comes and has three things prepared for Jonah, appointed for Jonah. Verse 6 we read, And the Lord God prepared a gourd. It's probably more like a, a castor oil plant, a, a very broad leaf plant that, that grows up quickly. And it's made to come up, and it, and it covers Jonah, providing tremendous shade from the heat of the day to deliver him. We read that the Lord gave this to deliver him from his grief. The Lord prepared, appointed this plant to provide Jonah relief. To provide him relief from his self-afflicted grief. And yet, even in his ongoing selfish pity, the Lord comes to him and he calls him with the goodness of God, which we are told by Paul leads, is called to, to give and to lead us to repentance. But Jonah was, Jonah was relieved. And we read his emotions swing from being very angry to very glad, exceedingly glad. He's exceedingly glad for the gourd. He experienced much joy and gladness on account of this plant. But it didn't lead him to repentance. Emotions are fickle. Jonah's emotions are rooted in his self selfishness. He was living for himself, for his own desires and purposes. He was not living for the glory of the Lord and the spiritual well-being of others. And so when things go his way, he becomes very happy, very glad. But what about you and me? Given the multiplicity of good and gracious gifts and the Lord's dealings with us on a, on a daily basis, do they lead us to repentance? Or are we like Jonah, glad for them? rejoice in them, thankful, very thankful for them, very glad, very happy. But then when they're taken away, disappointed, maybe even angered at their absence or removal. For Jonah, the prepared gourd led him to, to joy, to rejoice, but when it, when, it was, when it was gone, when it was taken away, as the Lord prepared a worm which smote it, he further drowned himself in his self-pity. Not only did the plant die because of the presence of the worm, but the Lord appointed a scorching east wind to discomfort Jonah. And so we see Jonah sitting outside of the city, the sun beating down on him, a vehement east wind being beating him. The searing sun burnt him. He must have been hot and sweaty, exposed to that biting wind, the dirt and the sand that were, were, were blinding him, were pitting his skin. And he fainted, we read, and he wished to die. From angry to exceeding glad to angry, resentful. He once more despairs of his life and wonders why the Lord is toying with him. And he complains and questions the Lord once again. And once more the Lord comes to him and says to him and asks him, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? Are you really, really angry, Jonah, concerning the death of this plant? 
Are you really angry because of a plant that you did nothing for? A plant that grew up in the night and died the next day? You know Jonah's response. I do well to be angry, even unto death. Yes, I am really angry, and I deserve to be. I am really angry, even to the point of wanting to die. Once more, he seeks to have his life taken, praying, saying to the Lord, it's better for him to die than to live. Now, how do we respond to the, to the Lord's providential dealings with us? How do we react? How do we respond to the word as it comes to us this morning? Sidcliffe Ferguson re- refers to, compares the, our reactions to a thermometer of our heart. Reactions are often not intentional. They come in the heat of a moment, and they will often give a very give a fairly good reflection of where our hearts are at. Think of a troubling situation that you may have been in. Maybe it was a loss of a job, the denial of a promotion. Maybe it was the challenging news concerning uh, uh, your health. Or maybe it was hurt that you experienced resulting from one of the a sinful choice of one of your children, maybe. Or maybe it was, it's, it's an ongoing trouble in the workplace. Continued berating or hurt or some, some, some trial. Whatever, whatever it is in your life, how are you reacting? It will be a reflection of the heart. Is there contentment or dissatisfaction? Is there submission or bitterness? Is there trust? Or is there anxious worry? The Lord looks for the former. But if the latter are present like they were in the life of Jonah, our gracious God gently and firmly continues to uncover them as he drills down to the real issue in our lives of where our hearts are at in relationship to him alone. And we'll look at that in our last thought. At the heart of Jonah's response, we have him questioning God, questioning God's compassion and his pity. But in not understanding who his God is, Jonah doesn't understand himself as well, his own heart, his own sin. Jonah doesn't see that he has become desensitized to grace and mercy. He knew it with his head. He had an orthodox understanding of God. It was spot on. But he was not experiencing it with his heart. His heart was cold and and dull. He had lost sight and taste for what God's delight for for what God delights to do in the lives of sinners. Something, something was dulling Jonah's palate. Reminds me when I had COVID and my, I could gradually sense my tastes and smell were going away. Everything started to taste horrible and smell horrible. And finally, they were just gone. Desensitized to the, the wonders of food and the smells of good cooked food. And in a sense, this was what was happening to Jonah. Something was desensitizing. Something was dulling his love for the Lord and who his God was. 
Something, something was leaving him cold, even in the midst of usefulness and fruitfulness in ministry. And for Jonah, it was at least two things. And the first was his, his prejudice. His prejudiced understanding of who God should show mercy to. Jonah would have shown no pity to Nineveh. He was prejudiced to the Gentiles, against them. But he was also prejudiced in what kind of service he should be called to. Jonah would have never sent himself to Nineveh. So what kind of prejudice do we have that may dull our palate, that may desensitize us to the work of God in our lives and in the lives of others? What is causing us to lose the beautiful experience of knowing the mercy and grace of God Loving what he loves, hating what he hates. But the second aspect that was leading to the dulling of Jonah's senses was his self-pity, his bitterness, his anger against his God. He was limiting his God. And in limiting his God, he was exalting himself This whole mission, as he went to Nineveh for Jonah, was about Jonah and his reputation. God's reputation had been minimized. Jonah needed to learn that he must decrease and that his Lord, his Savior, needed to increase. Jonah needed to learn that his self-pity needed to be done away with And he needed to love what God loved and pity those whom God would pity. He needed to learn to be like his Lord. And to let even the circumstances of his life be the very means by which he he would be conformed into the image of his Lord and Savior. In response to Jonah's declaration that he did that he was doing well, it was good for him to be angry even at the loss of the plant, the Lord begins to question Jonah. He says to him, and thou hast had pity on the gourd for which thou hast not labored, neither made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. In a sense, the Lord is saying to Jonah, Jonah, you had pity. You looked on this plant that came up in the night and perished in the night. You you look on it with compassion. And you would have spared it from its impending judgment, destruction, if you could have. Why? Why, Jonah? For you didn't do anything for this plant. You didn't cause it to grow up. You didn't desire this plant. You did nothing for this plant. This plant did nothing to earn your pity, your compassion, and yet it has become the object of your pity. Why? For Jonah, the answer was because it benefited me. It relieved me from the heat of the day. Because I was selfish. And then the Lord brings his argument home to Jonah. Given that you desire to show pity on this this plant that was here today and gone the next, should not I, should not I spare Nineveh? And this word spare is the exact same word for pity in the previous verse. Should not I pity Nineveh? Should should I not look with compassion on this great city wherein are more than six score thousand or 120,000 people that cannot discern between their right and left hand and also much cattle? 
Jonah, if you, if you were willing to show pity and compassion on this plant, should not I show compassion on this great city of 120,000 souls? Souls that I created? Souls that are made in the image of, in my own image? Jonah's anger and his self-pity, his selfishness in light of the 120,000 souls is pathetic. And how selfish can our own hearts not be? Even after grace? What gets your attention? What gets your compassion? Your pity. What do you care about? What takes up the time of your day? Is it work? Sports? Toys and hobbies? Reputation? Possessions? Or is it God and His people? Christ and his church, the Lord's honor and reputation, his worship and praise. Ferguson, on his little book on the book of Jonah, raises a most challenging point. He says, this was a devastating critique of Jonah's spiritual condition. But it raises an issue no less disturbing about our own lives as Christians. Could the same be said about us? Do we care more about the items of our garden, the produce of our fields, the contents of our garage, our home, than we do about our fellow men and women and the spread of the gospel to them? Do we care more in the last analysis about our own comfort and plans than about the evangelism of the world in our time? The statistics of our giving, our praying, our going in in the cause of Christ throughout the earth provide an embarrassing reading to the church. They raise very real questions about whether we have begun to rid ourselves of the Jonah syndrome. And doesn't it turn us to prayer, people of God? Lord, help us to love like you love. Help us to pity like you pity. Help us to forgive like our Lord Jesus forgives. Help us to humble ourselves and to serve others like our Lord Jesus Christ humbled himself and came to serve. Help us to be like our Lord Jesus, to live holy for him. Help us to put off this selfish pride and to take up the towel and water and begin to wash one another's feet. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be your hands and feet to others. Are you at odds with the compassionate Lord? If God is concerned about the 120 souls of Nineveh, How can we remain unconcerned for the loss in our midst, in this city, in this world? Amen. Lord, as we come to the end of this intriguing, challenging book of the book of Jonah, Lord, we, we have been left exposed 
And Lord, we have been left with the question, why don't we pity what thou dost pity? Why are we so slow to put off our selfishness? Why help us, Lord? Help us to be like our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to show compassion and pity on the lost. Help us to be to repent of our sins. And Lord, remove, help us to put off sin, sin that, that desensitizes us, that, that dulls us to thy, thy glorious grace and mercy. Lord, help us to be enthralled with our compassionate God. Help us not to be at odds with Thee, but to hear Thy voice and to go where Thou wilt send us. Lord, help us to live this out every day of the week in every sphere of life that we are called to whether it's at school or in the workplace or in our homes or among the, the, in the fellowship of the, of the saints. Help us to love what our Lord loves and hate what he hates. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.